And that's, I think, what I experienced that first time where I was alone, walking in the woods. I was no longer, like, reeling and searching for who I am and searching Mm -hmm. for this sense of self. I just was overcome with the feeling that I was a part of it all. Mm. I am nature. I am that tree. I am. Welcome to the Why We Hike podcast, where we explore the highs, the lows, and the whys for going outside. I'm your host, Ford Thunder Erickson, and boy howdy, that intro rhymed real good. Let's do some talking. Aha! I I used to start every episode by doing like a big sigh, but then the last... I think three episodes I've started with a like a triumphant villain laugh from an old cartoon. That's my new style for some reason. So, sorry. Trying to find some new options. Uh, let me know if you, uh, any other ways I can start an episode. But anyway, I'm sitting here with a dear friend here. Uh, a wonderful lady named Meg Evans. Meg, say howdy to the people. Howdy, people. Just listen to that voice. <laughs> Man. So Meg and I are sitting on the porch of her most amazing place in the whole world, looking at the most amazing sight in the whole world. Uh, can you, what, what are we looking at here? Where are we at here, Meg? Mm, great description for it. It's true. We are in the most amazing place in the whole world, Tucson, Arizona. We're here nestled in the Sonoran Desert, surrounded by choya and saguaro and creosote. Off in the distance is Mount Lemon, covered in clouds, and the rain is dripping off the uh, spines of the cactus. True. It's beautiful. It's really amazing. And the smell of the desert after a rainstorm. Since I've been out of Arizona for a few months, I kind of forgot it. And then this morning when I woke up and just walked around the desert for a minute, that smell of the creosote, and uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. How do you describe the smell of the desert after a rainstorm? Ooh. That's tough. It's I mean, really anywhere distinct. after a rainstorm smells good, but the desert has a distinct... There's something different. I don't it's know. true. It's the creosote, I think, that really comes alive. It's clean. I don't know. Fresh. <laughs> yeah. It smells like water, but... <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? It's like the smell of water and dirt, but that doesn't sound very good. But no. it's like, a, I don't know, it's just really nice. So if you haven't experienced it, Come give a whiff of some uh, Sonoran Desert after a rainstorm. It's real great. Uh, But yeah, I love the desert after some rain. It's amazing. You can just, the desert just feels happy, you know? Yeah. It's got got a good drink. Doesn't get to drink a whole lot sometimes, so it's it's happy. Yes. And the choya look like they're glowing from the inside out. Uh huh. Yeah. They really do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so yeah, I could sit out here in this view that Meg has here all day. And I actually have so far this entire day. We've seen some cool animals already. Oh, yes. This morning. Do you want to tell everybody what we saw this morning? Yeah, this morning we saw five or six coyote. Yeah. Just right outside, 10 feet away maybe. Yeah. Yeah, they were beautiful. They looked so healthy and they were running around and the pack split up. Some went one direction and the other went the other, but they were still howling at each other Uh and and talking it was pretty cute yeah it was great i was watching some other some bird 
I don't know what kind of bird it was. Maybe you'd know. You know birds better than I do. Sometimes. But it was just perched on the choya right over here. And if you don't know much about choya cacti, they're kind of, in general, kind of some of the most feared cacti. They're, it's, uh, it hurts to run into some of that stuff. And, uh, but choya is a great protector in the desert to some of these uh, vulnerable creatures. Like that bird, it was just perched on this little branch of choya in the midst of this big choya bush. It was just in there. And I was looking at it, and I was like, man, how is it not hurting its feet? I don't know how that works, but it's just sitting there, and it's probably doing that for a reason, because there's hawks and stuff out here, and maybe, you know, some kind of predator. But I've heard that for a lot of rodents of the desert, that choya is a, a great protector. They can hide under it, and it keeps them safe. So it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, uh, so we're here with Meg today. I've been good friends with Meg for quite a while. We met through a wilderness therapy uh, program, Anasazi, that we worked at together, and we've just become good friends. We've worked at a few different places. We worked with Dan Baird, who I interviewed for another episode at his, uh, at California Survival School for her, their kids program, Wilder Skills, which was so much fun out in California. And yeah, spent a lot of time together, become good friends, and Meg is a, a friend of great wisdom and depth and has a very deep relationship with nature and also a really cool journey that I want to hear a little bit more about. Um, so I'm just going to just jump right in here. Cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. Thank you so All much right. for having me, Ford. You are such a great friend. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Thank you. Um, so maybe some people, maybe some people listen to this know Meg, maybe some people don't. Um, but one fact that maybe some people do not know about Meg is that you were like a full-time figure skater when you're a teenager, right? Yeah. And s something about the Olympics, yeah. right? Can you tell a little bit about, about that, what was going on there? For sure. So I started, I started figure skating when I was 10, which is really old for a figure skater. Really? Um, it is, yeah. Usually they start very young and it's their full-time. It takes a lot of dedication to excel at that sport. So 10 years old, I start figure skating. Um, I fell in love with it immediately. So I begged my mom to homeschool me through middle school, which she did. And I spent all day at the rink. Hmm. Um, I did a couple hours of classes, but mostly it was just skating. Yeah. And you then, were still at home at this point? Yes, I was still living with my parents at this Virginia? point. In Virginia, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then once I... Um, reached high school age, I started going to public high school for half the day, and then the other half of the day I would uh, go to the rink. So you were skating from age, like, pretty, like, competitively, seriously from age 10 on? Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't training, mm. cut that out. I, uh... So, yeah, starting at age 10, I was serious about it, but obviously I was still learning and I was uh -huh. not training w at a very high um, competitive facility. Uh -huh. But when I was 16, I started uh, searching for a partner for ice dancing. Yeah. This is a little jumbled, but hopefully it oh, makes some sense. Oh, you're okay, great. great. Killing it. Thanks for listening, everybody. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I started ice dancing. It's where you have a partner. Um, I enjoyed it so much more. It was so freeing. It's phenomenal to fly around on tiny knives, like in sync with yeah. someone else. And 
do these cool lifts and spins and I just found it really exhilarating. So I found a partner up in Michigan in Detroit. His name is Nathan Truesdell, amazing person, amazing skater. And so I moved away from home. I moved to Michigan to train. At 16. At 16, yeah, to train with the Olympic coaches. So at the time, they were training like I was training alongside the Olympic gold and silver medalists. Wow. Um, teams from Russia and teams from Canada and amazing teams from the United States that inspired me as a kid. And all of a sudden, I'm training alongside them. Yeah, that's crazy. It was really a unique experience. And shaped me in a lot of ways, a lot of really beautiful ways, and was really challenging also for a young girl to kind of navigate yeah. this highly competitive world of figure skating. Um, so yeah, it was a really amazing yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're 16 and you, uh, you've been taking it fairly seriously. I mean, <laughs> more serious than I took anything when I was a kid, but uh, and then when you're 16, you like just went all in. All in. Moved out. How how long were you out there in Michigan? Two years. <laughs> Two years. Wow. Two years I was out there. I moved in with a um, a host family, the Looseleys, very mm -hmm. sweet family, for my first year. And then the second year I lived with another family, the Medleys, also an amazing family. They really took care of me. And at the time I was pretty serious in my church, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that community really nurtured me and, and took me in as well while I was away from my my parents. And I made amazing friends at the skate rink as well that really enriched my experience and yeah. made it feel more well-rounded and, and full. But yeah, it was odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is weird. I don't know anyone else who has done something like that. When they're kid, you know, I mean, we we work with the kids at Anasazi who get <laughs> who who go away from their family for a couple months, but you know, a lot different, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot different situation. Um, so, so I'm picturing in my head, 16 year old Meg, um, who's a figure skater, I assume, with some big dreams in that world. You know, maybe going to the Olympics or, you know, going all in, and. And now I'm looking at Meg, mm -hmm. who there's probably a lot of, I mean, I didn't know 16-year-old Meg, but I'm here in your amazing house way out in the desert where you've got animal skulls all over the place and a giant elk antler, all these stones and cacti that has been trampled by the javelina that you're trying to bring back to life. And... You know, all these things. You're wearing your famous trail hat with the feather in it right now, you know? Yes. And uh, it seems like a different different life. Absolutely. So, so I want to hear a little bit about your story of what got you from that life to here and how kind of getting in touch with nature how you started getting in touch with nature and wilderness and all of that, these kind of things that you love now. Um, how, how did that happen and why? Mm, really good question. Yeah, it definitely seems that I've lived a lot of different lives in yeah. this one lifetime. And the way I live now is quite different than how I was living back then. And I think the main reason that I made such a 
drastic transition was that although I found a lot of enjoyment and and pleasure in that sport and in um, using my body in that way and dedicating my time and my energy to that, there was a lot of inauthenticity. Mm. And as How a, so? What do you mean? By- uh, I personally feel there's a lot of inauthenticity in the world in general that we live in, the society we live in in general, but specifically in that subculture, um, it's a performance, it's a performance sport and it's a judgment sport. Mm. So there's a lot of emphasis on the superficial. There's a lot of emphasis on, uh, yeah, how you're, how you, how you look and not a ton of conversation about the emotional and about the Mm. spiritual at least back then for me that was my experience um which was confusing because since i was a young girl i have felt very connected with the divine and very Hmm. um interested in spiritual matters so it was quite confusing to have one thing be said to me and feel something different Mm. Or witness something different. There's just a lot of confusion for me. Um, And I became pretty unhappy in the sports. And I became quite sick. I developed a pretty serious eating disorder. And was just being very cruel to myself. And didn't really know that there was any other way to be. Mm. So eventually I retired from the sport. And you were about 18 or so. Yeah, I was 18. I, it was a really difficult decision because it's what it was really my identity at that point. So I retired from the sport and I, I went through my, my first identity crisis. (laughs) And, (laughs) um, as I was, you know, searching all over the literal world, I moved to Switzerland and I attempted to go to BYU and Provo and didn't have a great experience there. I'm in Switzerland. I'm really searching for my meaning and like why I am here and who I am and what I even Cause, enjoy. Yeah, cause that's hard because it's, it's not that it's like, okay, you just gave up a hobby. This has been like a pretty like serious full-time job, I guess you could say for totally. the last eight years, which is almost 50% of your life. Totally. Yeah. I had that's really... Crazy. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a big shift, and I was young and not really quite sure how to navigate that. And and no one else in my world was really sure how to navigate that because it was unique to to all of us. And my parents did a really amazing job um, trying to provide me with the resources that would help me find my way. But nothing was really clicking. I wasn't passionate about anything. Mm. Um until I went on my first real long hike Hmm. and I was in the Swiss Alps and I would just walk around I was a I moved over there to be an au pair and uh, the property that I lived on was surrounded by really beautiful mountains and I would just walk around and I remember feeling for the first time since I was a little girl really like a coming home to myself Hmm. and really a deep connection that felt authentic and felt truthful and felt healing. Hmm. And uh, that really became the base for 
for my life moving forward. And my relationship with the outside world has changed a lot, as I have changed a lot. I, I used to be really into rock climbing, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a really wonderful way for me to get into the kind of that meditative flow that I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, and to get outside and to push my limits and set goals and challenge my fears, all these things that I really thrived on for mm. so many years and still do, but didn't know how to access. Yeah. Um, it provided such a beautiful outlet for me emotionally and physically. So that, so the first, but the first kind of time that you felt that kind of coming home, I think you described it was when you're in this, the Swiss, is it the Alps? Yeah. It's in the Alps. And you're walking around out there going on a hike. Yeah. Out there. Can you, it's really hard to do, but can you find any words to describe what that felt like? I mean, you described it as coming home. But how, how so a little bit? It's a hard one because I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm putting you on the spot. So, um, um, and do you feel like you can continue to experience that, or do you feel like you do continue to experience that same feeling in the same way? Yes, I definitely do. Hmm. Great question. Yeah, it's a really hard one. It's really great. That's really the whole purpose of this podcast. Enjoy so thinking about that. I don't know what to answer. You know, I had spent my whole life thinking that I was separate from nature, uh, mm-hmm. that it was kind of this outside world and then and then this inside world, and I belonged to this inside world. Mm. And I think most people do That's walk their lives. That's how we talk lives. about it, you know? We're like, right. oh, yeah, man, I love nature. Nature is so cool. But that when you really think about it, it's kind of a funny thing to say. It's a funny thing to say because we are nature. Yeah. We are nature. Uh-huh. And that's, I think, what I experienced that first time where I was alone, walking in the woods. I was no longer, like, reeling and searching for who I am and searching Mm. for this sense of self. I just was overcome with the feeling that I was a part of it all. Mm. I am nature. I am that tree. I am that rock and that bird and that... that coyote is me and we're all connected we're all a part of this wild world spinning around on this rock through empty space (laughs) (laughs) so it was just this Mm. really peaceful knowing that i am i am small and insignificant yet i am vastly important Mm. in this web of life that's cool i I've never really heard it put that way, but that gives me some clarity. Thank you. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I feel like that it kind of helps me make sense of what I have experienced a little bit too and what I continue to experience because I, I feel like it seems like everybody when they start to – everyone wants to be a part of something or identify with something, right? I feel like everyone, for the most part at least, does that and it kind of starting at like – when you become an adolescent, you know, you're like, well, I'm a skater right? or I'm a jock or, you know, and it feels good to sure. identify with something. You know who you are. Okay, I am this. And then when somehow something happens, like with you, you're like, I'm an ice skater. Sure. That's what I am. That's, these are my people. This is what I do. Um, and then all those things are pretty superficial and they're not really who you are. They're things that maybe you like to do, a hobby here and there, but those come and go. Mm-hmm. And... 
yeah the the deep sense of coming home it's it it yeah i love the way you put that because it it made it makes me feel yeah like i'm a part this is this is my click (laughs) that's a bad way to put it but like yeah when i'm walking around there i feel a part of it it's this deep sense of like you're a part of this family the tree is not separate from you the coyote is not some strange alien thing i'm just another thing in this whole vast ecosystem that's going on here and that's that's my that's my people that's my my group that's my my click i don't know how to put it i don't know but i love the way you put that that was cool yeah your belonging place yeah Mm -hmm. so that felt cool yeah man killing it meg killing it i'm kind of nervous <laughs> you're doing great <laughs> thank you eat an orange okay. we're eating some oranges right now oh, here. listen to her tear off an orange oh you can actually hear it <laughs> yes <laughs> <sighs> oh, that's really good it's a good one yeah it is a good orange so all right so you went on that hike in the alps yeah. and something started happening to you for sure and i didn't have those words for it yet uh-huh. I just knew just it felt, felt good. Felt something, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, uh-huh. just, uh, yeah, I just knew I wanted to do that again. What do you remember as being your next step, if you will, that kind of was following that feeling? My next step was to um, do some backpacking, hmm. spend a night out in the wilderness. Still, still in Switzerland? Two. Still in Switzerland. Hmm. Um did a really small backpacking trip in Switzerland and then I moved back to the United States and began going on longer backpacking trips out west. Hmm. So Zion National Park oh. was one of my first long backpacking trips and then Canyonlands, hmm. through Canyonlands. Both of those landscapes are deeply moving yeah. and really transformative because what I experienced out there spiritually, I that's when I really knew. I... I'm going to dedicate my time to being outside. Hmm. Yeah, that's when I really knew it was when I moved out west. Yeah. Um, and then rock climbing. Hmm. Yep. And then I started working at Anasazi. When and was that? That was in, oh gosh. 15? For some reason, I'm really good with years for other people. It's really weird. creeps them out. But I'm pretty sure you started. Actually, I think I could name the exact month. I think Please it was... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, August 2015. Yes, that's right. Good job. Sorry if that scares you. No, I appreciate that. You're that just my friend, really you know, memory. so I know your timeline. Thank you. Someone's got to do it for me. So thanks for taking up the slack. Also, how about this temperature fluctuation that's going on right now? It's really hot all this It's time. really hot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But it was cold. It was rainy and cloudy, and so I was like had a sleeping bag, a winter sleeping bag on top of me, but now I'm taking off my sweatshirt. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The sun just popped out through the clouds, and then it'll probably start raining in a couple minutes. That's amazing. Oh, man, but it's really hot all of a sudden. That's the beauty of the desert. Which, speaking of, uh, but also if at any point you need to move, you're about to pass out, just uh, give me the old signal, all right? You got it. Okay. Um, but this reminds me, so this ice figure skating Virginia girl yeah. has somehow found a love for this rugged, strange, in some people's eyes, stark, barren desert. Yeah. 
How do you, how, how do you explain that to people? If there's someone from back home in Virginia and you know, you got all the trees there, it's green, it's beautiful. I've never been there, but I hear it's beautiful, you know, so much life. Mm. And people say, what do you like about the desert? Everything's just dead and brown and prickly mm. and it's just hot and there's snakes. Yes. What, how could you possibly fall in love with this desert when you grew up with so much more? How would you respond to that? And what does the desert do for you specifically? And it's, it seems like, anyway, yeah, I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely different than how I grew up. Um, the desert is phenomenal. It has a really unique magic that I hope one day to be able to put words to. But I'm still searching for those exact words. But what I do feel here... I feel that the desert just strips me bare. And I, my real deep emotions are exposed. I can't hide from myself. I can't hide from... You know, things that for a really long time in my life I tried to avoid feeling. I mentioned that I had an eating disorder before. Yeah. That was a big part of my journey. Um, because for me, that was just a real way of uh, controlling my anxiety and my mm. depression and controlling it. I put that in quotation marks because it's a really um, ineffective Band-Aid. Mm. But as I, I received treatment for that, I went to a treatment center and I do want to mention that's one of the first times actually that I recognized the importance of being outside for myself because mm. the first five days that I was in the treatment center, I couldn't go outside. Mm. And I remember I cried for three days straight. Wow. My eyes were swollen shut. Part of that was because I was being treated for a really intense um, sickness, if you will. And so it was challenging to even be there. Um, but I couldn't go outside. And then when I finally did, this was in Utah, so it wasn't the same uh, landscape as Virginia, obviously. It's a little more deserty mm -hmm. than the East Coast. Yeah. But I remember looking at the mountains in the distance and seeing the rocks, and I just loved seeing that like exposed earth. Huh. There was something about that that really inspired me to, to flesh up my own inner earth and look at it and explore it and... Uh, make peace with it. Yeah. So there's something about the desert that really reminds me of that. There's a lot of a lot of deep symbolism that you see kind of in so landscapes. So much. Yes, nature is the perfect reflection of us. How so? I just we're we're a part of it, right? We are nature, and we are a part of this ecosystem, and we came from it, and we'll return to it when we die, mm -hmm. and when I'm out in it or when I'm looking at it, everything is a symbol for my inner world. It's just a perfect reflection. And the more I explore the outside world, the deeper I can go in my, in my inner world. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the desert really, the stillness really helps me access deep parts of myself. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 
way that the plants and the animals are in this symbiotic relationship is really beautiful. They mm. rely on each other and need each other in order to thrive in such a challenging environment. Yeah. That's true for us as humans. Yeah. The way that they protect themselves mm -hmm. has taught me a lot about boundaries. Mm, how so? Yeah, I was that. not good at boundaries. I didn't, I wasn't taught like how to have boundaries, how to, you know, use my voice. I, I was a figure skater who showed up, listened, performed. Mm. That was kind of my role. And there wasn't a lot of space for anything else, it felt. Yeah. And I have a lot else happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've learned that it's really important for me to set, to listen to my inner knowing and to listen to myself and to potentially make other people uncomfortable sometimes in order to set boundaries so that I can protect myself and protect my energy. And in that way, I can better show up for my community. Yeah. So the cactus kind of teach me that, remind me of that yeah. too. I love them. I love them. And it's just so beautiful. I mean, yeah, it it also felt like a coming home the first time mm -hmm. that I saw a cactus. And it was here in Tucson as, as mm -hmm. I was driving across the United States from Virginia to Phoenix. Yeah. And I stopped in Tucson and I saw my first barrel cactus and I started crying. Really? And I just got down very close to it and was just amazed at this being. Huh. It felt just... Um, like the symbol of resilience to yeah. me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever saw a saguaro cactus. Which, if you don't know what a saguaro is, everybody knows, even if they don't know the name. It's the famous, uh, big tall cactus with the arms that are on all the potato or uh, tortilla chip bags, <laughs> and salsa logos and everything. And uh, I think it's probably going to get cold here in a second again. This temperature is just crazy. It's a really big place. <laughs> it felt like 100 degrees like the last <laughs> yeah. couple minutes. But then it looks like the clouds are coming up over the sun, so it'll get cold again. Anyway, yeah, so the, I remember the first time I saw a saguaro cactus, because I'd never have. I'd just see them in the cartoons with Wile E. Coyote and all these things. But I'd never seen one in person. And when I came down for a friend's wedding in, like, 2013 or something down to Arizona, I remember the first time I was, like, sleeping in the car. Then I woke up, and I was like, oh. <gasps> Oh my gosh, we're in Arizona. This is this is the Wild West. It was like a surreal experience to see a saguaro because this there's lots of deserts throughout the world and every environment has its own unique beauty and quirks and things that make it cool. Um, but I'm with you. There's I've always had some kind of special connection to the desert and I don't know, it's hard to explain, mm -hmm. but I I I feel safe in the desert I feel like I'm at home and all the prickliness and stuff like yeah sometimes it kind of hurts but there's a lot of cool yeah symbolism there and the saguaro just feels like a big brother that's just like watching over I don't know it's yes. interesting one um, time I had this dream uh -huh. and well I have dreams every night but this dream was very special I was walking around in the desert it was maybe a year after I had moved to Arizona and I'm walking through the Swaro forest and I'm just amazed at them and I'm, I'm looking up at them and then I see this old woman off in the distance so I walk towards her and she starts walking towards me and when she's close enough 
to be in earshot, she says to me, do you, do you hear her? And I said, do I hear who? And she says, well, you're surrounded by the earth's antennas. Can you hear her? And I remember waking up and just being like, yes, that's what I feel in the desert. I feel that I can hear the earth's heartbeat stronger Hmm. somehow. That's cool. Wow. That's a really cool dream. Earth's antennas. I like that. That's cool. Um, I, I want to ask a question, which maybe you covered this a little bit, but I think um, I it's something that I don't know much about. And so you mentioned, you know, you struggled with a eating disorder and you talked a bit about that mm-hmm. a little bit. I was wondering if if you can, if if you can talk, because I know there's a lot of people that struggle with that. It's you hard. know, and it's and not even just women, you know, totally. a lot of people struggle with it. And a lot, a lot of times, maybe secretly or maybe sometimes they don't even know that they're struggling with it. Mm. Um, but I would like to hear if if there is anything else, like a, maybe a little more in depth, like how maybe any experiences you had or any other experiences you had with with nature that kind of helped you with that mm. and maybe are still helping you. Mm-hmm. in that regard if you can think of any yeah I absolutely can um, I, w- I do want to say I, I have gone to a lot of therapy and mm. received a lot of clinical treatment for my eating disorder and that is important if mm. you are s- struggling and feeling you know out of control with these negative thoughts yeah. and and behaviors um that has been very crucial to my healing journey but nature also has been um you know it's scientifically proven it's stress relieving anxiety relieving a lot of the times in which i would struggle the most with my eating disorder and still to this day it manifests in different ways but i have to be mindful of it especially if i'm experiencing a lot of anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, or if i'm experiencing uh, a lot of stress or um, deep sadnesses Mm -hmm. going outside absolutely helps me just step outside of my body and step outside of myself that in and of itself is very very helpful Um, but it's been yeah it's been amazing to recognize Something that's really helped me is is foraging my own food. Hmm. Yeah. How so? Okay, yeah. Tell so us a little like, about that. Yeah. What What is foraging to anyone who maybe don't know? And then yeah. So gathering food from wild places, gathering wild food, um, that has really helped me change my relationship with food. Uh, it's been a long journey. It's been ten yeah. years that I've been on this journey, but this little leg of it is my absolute favorite. Um, to be able to go out and and harvest food from the wild and, you know, sit with the plant before I harvest it and, and talk to it and ask if it would like to become a part of my life, ask if it would like to be transformed into human energy or into medicine and feel a communion there, um, whether it's a yes or a no and respect that. And then this is, this is what I love about you, Meg, because hmm. 
obviously we know there's going to be people who don't have that i mean that kind of deep relationship with all things in nature yeah. you know um and they might kind of see that because you literally do do that I we ate breakfast like- this morning meg in the kindness of her heart made me some delicious breakfast this morning and and she like thanked all aspects of where the food came from you know the farmers the the ground that grew the grain the like every single aspect of it she's aware of and thinks of and and you literally do do what you just said you know like you'll you'll you respect the plants if you accidentally break a branch off you'll you know like apologize to the plant (laughs) and for maybe a lot of people they're like that's weird for sure how would how would you respond to that and maybe it's kind of hard to do. It is weird. It's weird in the sense that it's not normalized in our society. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's healed me. It's healed me to mm. be in relationship with my food and with my world in that way. Because, you know, when I lived before in this icebox of a world, so mm. to speak, I food was the enemy and it was Uh, now it's like I'm in communion like my mm. life is this big poem and this big experience and and I don't look at food in the same way it's it's a gift yeah it truly is a gift and it and and a miracle a miracle you know vegetables fruit what the heck what the heck's going on there (laughs) Yeah. yeah um Yeah, I know. It is odd. It is odd. And the first, I haven't always accessed that part of myself so readily. Mm -hmm. And the first few times holding those practices and, uh, you know, talking to the plants, it did feel funny. And I did look over my shoulder to make sure no one was around (laughs) to hear me doing that. But it just is uh, important. what What does it do for you? Well, to like, you know, intentionally to like intentionally seek to have a relationship with with the food you're eating that you've foraged. And uh Yeah, what what does that do for you? I just When when you're doing it, like why do you do that? Oh, well. And you've kind of covered that a little bit. There's a lot of reasons why, and there's so many benefits to it. And there's there's benefits to us as humans to do that, and there's benefits to the plants to do that as well. Mm. I mean, humans and plants have been in relationship for a really long time, mm. and we're kind of separated from that now. And in some ways, the, the earth is suffering, and mm. we are suffering. So it feels... What it does for me is it feels just... Um, it fills my life with fullness. Hmm. I, I, and in 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 spiritual ways, it fills my life with fullness. In physical ways, those wild foods are so much more ne- nutrient dense hmm. than anything you can get from the grocery store. Yeah. Um, so I'm filled with nutrients. It feels like I'm filled with, um really happy energy as well. Mm. These plants have lived some beautiful life out in the wild and yeah. and now have agreed to like come into my life and 
so energetically I feel fulfilled. Mm. Just fulfilled all around. Yeah. This maybe is, uh, maybe you don't have an answer for this one. This is the thought that it brought to me. Um, so having having this really intentional, gracious relationship with with wild food and all food in general, from what I've noticed with you, how do you feel like that, like intentionally seeking to do that has affected your relationship with people? Mm. That's a hard question. Maybe you don't have an answer for it right now. But that was a thought that I had. Four and a half seconds. Well, it has it has certainly made me more mindful of myself hmm. and my way of walking in the world. Hmm. When I go out and pay attention to every living thing, that is a walking meditation. You know, that is not just foraging for food. That is a yeah. state of of Zen that I'm able to get to that helps me settle racing thoughts. And through that, I'm able to access, you know, deeper parts of myself. And once I access those parts of myself, I like to really look at my inner world and explore it and really try to, to walk well. Mm. And there are so many patterns and behaviors that have been, that have harmed me and harmed people that I love in the past that are important for me to, to look at and to be compassionate with and then to transcend. Yeah. And going out and living an intentional life, being very mindful of the world around me helps me to do it within myself, which then helps me to do it with other people mm. yeah yeah well what are okay i'm gonna i keep i feel like every question i'm asking you is like from the point of view of like i'm like picturing some guy riding his motorcycle and he's like oh yeah you dang hippie totally uh also you're getting rained on right now it so feels if you want to nice. okay cool thank you um it's cold again and it's raining so gotta adjust again <laughs> joys of the desert here get back in my sleeping bag okay yeah. um <laughs> seriously felt like 100 degrees like 10 minutes ago that was pretty wild <laughs> um well, how would you respond to someone say well if you're really into foraging food why would you live in the desert there's nothing out there the oh Sonoran gosh. Desert, like, oh, there it's just this brown wasteland. What would you say to someone who said that? There's so there's so much food here. There's so Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Prove it's it. True. I'll prove it. Um just looking out right now at what is literally yeah. out of my porch. What can you see? So the Choya. In the spring when they develop brand new little buds, those I've harvested and then roasted on a fire to get the little uh, spines off. They're called glockids, the little tiny micro spines. Mm -hmm. And they taste like artichoke hearts. That's bougie. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just right in my yard. Um, That's just one example. You know, Mm. there's so many. There's this book that I recently, well, a couple years ago acquired. It's called Food Plants of the Sonoran Desert. Mm. It's a textbook. There's a lot of food. There's so much food in the world. There's food in your yard right now, literally. Dandelion leaves. Those make delicious garnish. They're a great salad. 
plantain. That's his food. There's, I mean, cattails. Now I'm getting rained on. A <laughs> yeah, lot. it's raining a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the more uh, uh, migratory interviews I've done. Here, we'll set this. Okay. Should we move the couch uh, thing? Yeah, is there a yeah. way to pause that? Oh, yeah, totally. Just keep it totally. Going? It's quite heavy. All right, we're moving this couch thing. <laughs> Perfect. Right there. That good? Yeah, that's great. Sure? Oh, yeah, and then it's not even against the glass. Okay. <laughs> you can hear the rain. Ah. Ah. Wow. Rain in the desert really is so magical. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Oh, yeah. So. Sorry to. You were saying some great oh, things yeah. about the plantains food. and stuff. Well, yeah. yeah, just basically the 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 earth is so abundant, and she is taking care of us. And we've got stuck in this mindset that it's like us versus nature, and mm. when we're going out, we're conquering it. Yeah, and like, man versus wild. Yeah, it's like it's stuff. not versus. We're in communion, and and if you know, and I'm still learning a lot. Um, and I have so much to learn, and I really look forward to that. But from what I've experienced so far, I mean, there really is so much abundance yeah. all around us. What's your, so what's one of your favorite wild foods to come upon, mm. find, mm. taste-wise, or just one of the one of the ones that you feel like you have a special connection with that's like magical to find. Mm. Maybe there's a lot, but I there is a lot of plant allies that I do feel very connected to. I love rose. Hmm. I love coming across rose plants. Any sort of rose hips. Those. Hmm. um, Yeah, you made me some tea with rose hips in it that you harvested, right? They're so delicious. Yeah. Um, on the trail, on the Anasazi trail, the grape leaves filled me with life i would make yeah. like these backcountry dolmas so i'd make like rice and lentils and then wrap them in these tangy grape leaves and that yeah. was just amazing i love vegetables so literally any greens yeah um yeah grape leaves are probably the one that i uh, huh. it was like my first experience really like yeah. foraging something and eating it and it really like enhancing my meal and enhancing yeah. my life it's it is cool I remember the first time i kind of started learning plants and then some that are a little bit edible it, it really is it it's really great on a lot of levels yeah because it it enhances going out to nature like more than just kind of that peace and feeling a part of something um you feel like you're you're going out there to find a little gift, yeah, you know and it and it's and it's also it's empowering it's uh and even outside of all of maybe what spiritual benefits or all that kind of stuff that we've been talking about, just bare minimum, even if you just get to know a couple different plants and then you go out on a little hike or something out out there and you find them it feels really cool to be like wow i found some food out here right and it you just if it, it kind of it just empowers you a little bit oh it's a cool experience it totally does 
Yeah, it is a really cool experience. And it really, you saying that kind of made me realize that not only did the earth sustain me spiritually and emotionally in a time that I was so desperately needing it, the earth also sustains me physically in all of the ways Mm. that I seek to be sustained by my belonging place and by my community. The earth provides it freely. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is so great. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I like talking to Meg. She's got one of the most, uh, like there's the phrase down to earth, (laughs) (laughs) but that's, that's exactly what comes to mind because, yeah, your relationship with the earth is so deep and gracious. It, it like, it, it moves me every time I hear you talking about it. Aww. And it, it helps me, you know, to recognize the good that's around, you know, even just this, the, the literal simple things, you know, the sun coming out. But even right now, the rain, the rain is so great because both of us have spent time in the desert when there hasn't been rain for a while and things get rough. The creeks start drying up. And but then we've also spent times out in the wilderness where it's really rainy Mm. and there's long term great effects of that. But then in the short term, you're like, man, I just would give anything to have the sun Mm. shoot through those clouds like they were a few minutes ago. Mm. Um, And it just you felt that warmth on your skin and it dries your wet clothes out. And uh, and I think. I like how you always bring up the the symbolism of all of it. Because I think about that even with the rain right here. Like if the rain kept going for several days, be like, oh man, this rain's really wearing me down. But then in a few months, if it's a really rainy winter out here in the desert, it is like the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know? Like anywhere is when you get a lot of moisture, the earth thanks you and everything's growing and blooming and the colors and the smells and it's just amazing. Yes. It just, everything works together. And that's what I love about the way you approach it is that you're trying, you're not trying, like you said, not trying to be man versus wild. You're trying to just jump into that harmony, that circle dance of sorts. Yes. You're just trying to be a part of it, do your part. And it's really cool. Thank uh, you for it. To see. Um, one, a couple things that I haven't mentioned about Meg, which I, I apologize, I should have mentioned at the very start of the episode, is that she saved my life a couple times on the Anasazi Trail <laughs> <laughs> in a couple different ways. Not even, I mean, I wasn't literally in, I wasn't going to die or anything like that. No. But sometimes when you're in a difficult situation for a while, you start, you know, you start wondering a little bit. For sure. And, uh, but then also mentally and emotionally as well out there in the wilderness. I had a couple of real hard times out there. Both times Meg swooped in and saved us. <laughs> it was really great. Ford, it was my honor. And you have done the same for me. You bring such a jovial lightness to my life. I am down to earth, but sometimes I can be too down to earth. <laughs> I'm down in the depths and you really, you just bring such, such beautiful relief to everyone around you. So I didn't, I saved you for the whole world. <laughs> well, we thanks, all need Meg. you. What, well, I guess, uh, what's one of your favorite experiences we've shared together Ooh. in the wild? 
Oh, let me think. And we can take a second to think. Um, I can cut it. And... Okay, tell me if this is uh, a real memory. I've got <laughs> okay, so I've got some issues with my memory a little bit, but I I believe I remember being by the Verde River with you and a band. Mm-hmm. I think I was walking wind. I think it was girls' band. I think it was you and two female trail walkers, maybe Brooke and Chloe. Yep. yep Is that right? Yep, yep, yes. No it. problems with my memory. That's what I thought. <laughs> so I remember there being a really powerful fire circle for me mm. that night where I um, just felt really welcomed by everyone in the band. And the energy that you had created in that group was so, so loving and... Uh, it was beautiful to step into, and it was monumental for me because I um, felt inspired or compelled to sing hmm. at Fire Circle. Oh. That was horrifying for me. <laughs> I don't know why I felt that compulsion. Huh. I have struggled to share my voice. Yeah. That's been a real a journey in and of itself. Um, but I remember feeling comfortable enough to do it in that situation. And it felt so freeing. It felt like there was something inside of me that had been stifled for so many years. I wasn't even aware Mm -hmm. that I was suppressing. And it was truly just like my voice and my opinions and my unique way of viewing the world or my, you know, off tune singing or whatever it was, it was freed that night. And I just thank you for holding space for that. It was really transformative in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I want to thank you because I think that week I remember <laughs> pretty clearly um, that was some of the most exhaustion I've ever felt in my life. Oh, yeah. It was it was so much so I can't remember what all had been going on, but I'd been working a lot. I worked a, an extra shift, and so and then I was training two brand new staff members. And the the group of girls that we were walking with were great, um, but I was I was just in I was in charge of anything. I was training the new staff members, and you know taking care of the girls and leading the hike. And I was kind of running on fumes a little bit, and I <laughs> I just remember like sitting down we'd take a little break from the hike and people would be like talking to me and I would just fall asleep mid conversation. And that doesn't happen to me. Like I'm not that type of person that just fall asleep on command kind of thing. Yeah. And that was happening. I remember when we had to check in um, and say, you know, how are we doing? I was like, I, I can't, I'm like having a hard time holding it together. I can't, I can't stay awake. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can barely stay awake. I can't even talk to anybody. And so you came in and like, I remember you you let me go to bed early i think it was that night so yeah. i get a little extra sleep and i think it was probably that night i think that the story you just shared i think i can't remember exactly but um you allowed me to get caught up on my sleep out there so that i could be present with the girls out there i think that was a different night but it was in that same week okay yeah yeah it would have to be you were so tired yeah i was real tired there <laughs> real, was a, real tired. there was one point can't remember if you were with us at this point or not, but I was so exhausted and we're hiking along and uh, I slipped somehow and just crashed really hard. Just just like in this, 
impossible way. I slipped and crashed really hard on my side, but I just got back up. I was like, ah, gotta keep going. And then right after that, I got stung by a bee. <laughs> and it was like, oh man, I'm in a rough spot right now. And it was just really funny. So it was just great to have you there. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope that uh, the things I'm saying are, are feel complete. I feel like I keep kind of getting into something a little bit and then and then not. Well, and I kind of have been asking you questions, kind of veering you off course. Well, it's also tough to talk like completely about these kind of <laughs> woo-woo subjects sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot to go I into. Guess, I would like to hear some kind of story from you. So what's coming to mind is about a year ago, my grandmother passed away, and I was mm-hmm. very close with her. She was and is such an amazing human being, so full of love and loved me really unconditionally. I had a lot of years of uh, being maybe difficult to love where I was, you know, searching for myself. and yeah. um, But she was just unconditional with her love. And so about four four months after she passed um, I was out on the trail and I was having a rough day and I was just um, felt really alone I was literally alone but I felt really alone mm. um, and really was questioning what I was going to do with my life having like a mini existential crisis i don't know mm. if anyone's ever dabbled in those but <laughs> i know i have <laughs> yeah i think everyone has <laughs> just kind of wondering like what the hell's going on here uh-huh. excuse me heck yeah i'm sorry that was really that swear word really bad it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> um and i start praying and i'm praying to spirit and i'm just asking for some sort of guidance or some I just want to feel peace I just want to feel like relief from what I'm experiencing and this hummingbird and I'm really in in a really quite desolate area there's not a ton of there's no flowers there's no not a lot of foliage (laughs) um and this hummingbird flies out of nowhere and flies right up to me and is in front of my face, wow. hovering about two feet from me, looking into my eyes. Wow. And I got this distinct impression that it was, in some way, a message from my grandmother. Wow. This person who had been my closest source of unconditional love I had experienced in my life up until yeah. that point. And I just started... You know, tears just started running down my face and this hummingbird and I'm staring at it and and then I start singing a little bit. I started humming this little tune and it starts there's a helicopter. But we can pretend it's a hummingbird. <laughs> and the hummingbird starts swaying left and right. Really? Yeah. And then I am like, okay, this is too much. I'm afraid I'm going to fly off into the ethers. Like, <laughs> I, so, I, so I stopped and the hummingbird flew away. But that experience to me was just like, that confirmed that being outside, this is where I feel the closest to the divine. Mm. This is where I feel closest to God. 
It's where I receive my messages and I feel can get my prayers up more readily. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, the most important thing in life. Absolutely. Wow, that's really, really cool. I think I remember you telling me about that, like over the radio or something. Oh, really? I think, yeah. But I, I think I forgot to ever like hear more about it. That's really beautiful. That's cool. That's great, Meg. Yeah, once again, that's what that's I think is one of your great gifts. So thanks for sharing that. I think people being able to hear maybe a different perspective that maybe they've never heard about what the, what kind of depth of relationship you can have with the earth and you can be part of it and how healing that can be on a lot of levels, you know, with whatever you're struggling with, you know, like what you did with your kind of your identity crisis you had when you're 18 and then eating disorders and all kinds of other things and so even just healing things. from the loss of your loved ones, you know, with your grandma, mm -hmm. that was really powerful. So I think a lot of people can learn from that, including me. So thanks so much for being willing to share <laughs> a lot of really personal things like that. Thank you um, for, yeah, thank you for receiving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's getting hot again. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> anyway, love you a lot, Meg. Uh, anything else you want to say to all your all your fans out there? <laughs> well, if you got this far into the interview, just thank you. Um, I know it sounds kind of perhaps a little out there, but spending any time outside and any time just quieting yourself mm. will greatly benefit your life mm. and bring a sense of peace and healing and true love mm. into your life. I know it. Yeah. So do it. I think everyone could do that. There'd be a lot of problems solved in society, I think. I think there would be so much less pain and suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope for the world. Mm. So Me too. Yeah. Well, well said, Meg. You're the best. No. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. On behalf of the Why We Hike podcast, we thank you. Thank you. Me and my entire crew. <laughs> <laughs> Huge crew. Yep. All right. Love you, Meg. Love you for it.